0: Well, tonight we begin our series on Titus. Titus, uh, last uh, evening service we finished, the book of Ruth. And so I thought it would be good to now go to the New Testament and deal with this brief letter, which um, together with Timothy and uh, 1st, 2nd Timothy, is part of the pastoral epistles, which are letters that Paul wrote to, in fact, deal with pastoral matters the matters of the local church and i think this is a a good refreshing recap for us um these uh, letters of timothy and titus overlap in many ways titus was a gentile he was not a jewish convert he was a gentile greek and he now we learn in the words of our text today was left in an island of greek greece uh, crete which uh is uh, just south of Greece, and that, that island had sadly a sad reputation for being uh, full of pagan worship, unholy living, and here is where Titus has to fulfill his ministry. And in fact, this is one of the last letters that Paul wrote before his death, and the purpose of this letter is to exhort Titus to... As we see today establish, ordained qualified pastors but also we'll see next time the ending of uh, chapter 1 is also to combat false teachers and to then encourage believers I think the key word of this letter is to encourage believers to good works in chapter 1 Paul deals with the leaders in the church chapter 2 we will look at some of the guideline in the church and then chapter three we will look at the way in which christians have to behave in society and again the key word here in this whole letter is that christians should walk in a way that is characterized by doing good works this is what we should be characterized as christian this is what god expects of people who are saved by grace and saved two good works in the sense that those good works do not earn heaven but in the christian life salvation then begins this process which definitely uh, what you believe impacts the way that you will live that is kind of the the key theme of this letter of uh, of paul to titus and it seems like titus was dealing with churches where there's struggle for uh, being submissive or insubordination and the presence of these false teachers which come uh, over and over again because they had come in and crept into churches but again that was that insubordination caused a blemish for the testimony of Christians to the watching world and so this emphasis on the good works is it's really throughout the letter six times in this letter Paul speaks of Good works and he connects truth and good works. Just like truth and good works are connected with each other, lies and bad works are connected to each other. That is the way in which what you believe impacts how you live. That if you live by lies, then your life, your works will show. But if you live by the truth, what should follow should be. True, genuine good works done in faith as a saved person. Titus has to teach the truth because there are liars in the church, false teachers, that uh, lead to, those lies lead to ungodliness. And if we summarize the entire letter of Titus, we could go to chapter 2, verse 14, where it is really... The, the sum of everything, Christ, who Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is the verse of the entire letter. That true saving grace produces and leads to Christians being zealous for good works that the life of Christ that is produced in you bleeds to good works. And that leads then the church from moving a situation of chaos and disorder to a a, a situation of order and and truth and godliness. Now, before jumping into our section, which will be verse 5 to 9, let's make some comment on the introduction that Paul... He's the author of this letter remember he was called to build the very church that he once persecuted he he sought to destroy the church and now paul has a strong sense of calling that he prefaced uh, over everything that he's about to say in this letter paul had established churches he had done missionary journeys throughout greece and he describes himself as a bond servant or a slave of christ he sees himself as owned by the Lord to then bring the gospel all over Greece and therefore Crete as well. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ, being sent by Christ according to the faith of God's elect for the sake. That is why he was sent to further the faith of God's elect. Those who are, have been chosen in eternity past, And set apart for God. And I I know you're thinking, like, now that we're going to deal with verses 5 to 9, this is a sermon for pastors, so it doesn't apply to me. And so I can turn off and just uh, think about something else. But realize that you are included in this letter because he's talking to God's elect. He's talking to the church, the whole church, and what we're going to see tonight is that the elders are only intended to serve the church, to help Christians to imitate Christ and to follow the pattern of Christ. The goal is Christ-likeness and therefore shown through these good works. And in what way did, he, did Paul minister for their faith? He did so by sharing the gospel. He shared the gospel To those people, but he also discipled, so he saw conversion, but he also helps believers in their growth and sanctification. Because just like Paul had been called by Jesus, he now shares that knowledge of the truth. That means that Paul is dedicated to teach believers the truths of Christ so that they may think rightly about god if you could summarize new testament letters they are intended to be summaries of what matthew 24 tells us teaching all that i commanded you that paul is trying now to move from that commandment of christ and therefore spread the knowledge of the truth according notice our text with godliness In verse 1, it ends according with godliness, which means that truth is not divorce, but it must be in keeping with godliness. This link between truth and godliness is crucial. Just like lies and ungodliness, sadly, in the case of the false teachers we we will see next week, so in the case of godly, grace-filled teachers that we see tonight, we have truth and godliness connected. Because what you believe does inform the way you live. How you live your life. If you love the truth, it should should lead to live out that truth. It should lead lead to unhealthy behavior as a Christian. A right, correct teaching should lead to right living. It's not an end of itself. In the hope of eternal life, verse 2 tells us. That hope of eternal life, again that has been opened to us as salvation, when it's just the beginning. Jonathan Edwards called this, that when, he, when he wrote his diary, he says, let everything now have value, that it will have the same value that it will have on my deathbed. That everything needs to be in light of the hope of the eternal life. That hope of eternal life is what is supposed to give you the strength for for your present challenges. Helping Titus and the churches in Crete to persevere. And this eternal life is promised by God, who never lies. Before the ages began, that is what God has foreordained as salvation. And it, it wasn't that He saw that we would believe no, it was only and exclusively because of his sovereign will. In the same way, First Peter 2 starts with this element of God's choosing us before the ages began. And here in verse 3, you have the enactment of the plan of God, how it plays out. As in due time, it has been manifested through preaching. That is what Titus That's what Paul instructs Titus to do. Which preaching is simply to show and display the purposes and the promises of God. Contained into his word to God's people. And so Paul has been entrusted with this. And he has been entrusted right there on the road to Damascus. As he received a call to then preach the gospel. And I know that again. This is what often sadly doesn't happen our focus is only on temporal things and uh, maybe a few years or hours or current time but paul is driven by eternity by eternity past of what god has chosen before the foundation of the world but also eternity future in the hope of the coming glory that is what helps persevere the, the christians and that's why as we will see in coming weeks false teaching is completely fruitless Because it doesn't provide any help in the light of eternity. And so he calls Titus a son, a true son in our common faith. That is an interesting title because he's a spiritual son almost that has been discipled by Paul. And he now sends his greeting, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. So now we we, have seen this introduction Let's dive to the bulk of our text, which is, again, the need to appoint elders in every church. We see that the health of a local church, according to verse 5 to 9, depends on putting people in leadership position only whose life and doctrine are exemplary. What is the charge that, that Paul gives to Titus Is in verse 5? For this reason, I left you in Crete. When they the last touched base together, perhaps uh, after Acts 28, between the first and the second time that Paul gets in arrested, he had left Titus. And Titus has a task in Crete to set in order the things that are lacking, verse 5 says. There was some unfinished business in the churches that had been established through the efforts of Paul there were some things that were defective something that Paul because of time had left unfinished and he had to move on for further ministry you see one thing is to establish a church another thing is to put things in proper order in the church that takes time that takes patience but that takes hands that takes leaders that's why he commands to Titus to appoint elders. This is not something optional. And Titus is a fellow elder with Paul, but he has to appoint elders or pastor. Notice first that he uses the plural there. He doesn't say elder, but elders. There is a plurality of elders that he wants these churches in Crete to have. To have elders that are one among many and again if you have question about this our website of definitely uh, the statement of faith deals with those issues but it's is important to have this element of elders according to scripture that are to lead the church because again god has seen fit to have elders to lead local expression of the body of christ the church and therefore we cannot conceive or we should not have an idea of churches just like you know a democracy where everyone is self-rule everyone's own opinion and and there is a mess um and sometimes churches can tend to be that way god has established for the good of the congregation to have biblically qualified elders and it's true that some elders are more focused on the preaching and some other elders may have other areas of gifting. I'm not opposed to see that uh, category in scripture, scripture. But again, all elders remain equal in authority. To uh, avoid, this plurality is intended to avoid one elder exalting himself or lording over the congregation beyond what is biblical. And elder literally mean elderly, but it doesn't just mean that a person is actually older in age but it definitely means that he must be a mature Christian, so that he can lead younger people in the faith in growth toward, again, the goal, which is Christ-likeness. And he's to do so in every church. And we don't have this example just in the New Testament. If you go to Exodus 18, you have even Jethro is kind of a high priest of Madian, but might not even be the... Um, a, a believer in the God of Israel, but still he 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 has this wise counsel for Moses that he says, Moses, it's not right that everything is on your shoulders; that you're gonna burn out. You need to appoint, and look, it's very interesting, even the description that Exodus 18 gives us of men that are trustworthy. We'll see the the, the, the precise word there. And Peter gives a similar charge in chapter 5 of first Peter verse 2 shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly not for shameful gain but eagerly and so that's where leadership starts is through service that the greatest task for the local church is to find and appoint leaders if a church just like those churches in Crete lack elders now, it doesn't mean that they cease to be churches. But if they're, they're lacking elders and they're not intentionally thinking about a future goal of a plurality of elders, it is a problem. Because we need to have this multiple plural eldership to know where God wants us to be and to use God's methods to get there through the various giftings that God gives in the church and this is an imperative priority i mean the way that paul puts it it's really that the life of the local church and the health of the local church depends on this aspect yes a church can exist without this but it won't stay healthy for a long without it elders what to remind ourselves what is the task of elders is first of all to be responsible to pray As we find in acts of the apostle preach the word the minister of the word and we could say protect god's flock particularly here we have a context of false teaching that are encrypting in the churches of crete but there is an element of spiritual oversight in an elder upon other believers in the church for their own good and my prayer in this church that we may come back to You know the time that this church used to have a plurality of many elders however we want to make sure and we better make sure as we will see in coming verses that these men that are appointed are qualified to avoid the wrong person getting into eldership for the wrong reasons but again notice that ministry is never self-serving what you see here already from verse 5 is it's always intended to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that the saints themselves may be engaged in the work of ministry. Not just that, you know, the pastor does all the work. But that we think and pray for other people according to their gift things in the church. To fill positions of leadership or, or things of this natures, And we are to train and to see this element of discipleship at work in this aspect. Let me say also a word about membership. I know that this is not in the text, but uh, Lord willing, we will do even a... Since some of you have expressed the desire to join this church, we'll have a members class in a few months. And don't see this membership theme as uh, some sort of joining a club, because that is not what it is about. But uh, again, there's an importance of a meaningful membership. Now, we don't have a chapter and verse in the Bible that says, you know, Uh, You have to have membership. But it's definitely implied throughout the whole New Testament. Because if elders are to be appointed in the church, then those churches, when necessary, have to even, as we see in some cases, practice church discipline. It logically follows that those churches have members. When you are in Acts of the Apostle, what you keep hearing is that they were added to their numbers. Or when you get to the process of church discipline in matthew 18 you have a, a step the final step of discipline where it says tell it to the church now obviously it, it doesn't say membership but if that is the case that there's there's an in and out there is people who are members of the church who are committing to the life of the church which implies responsibilities that when you become a member of a church it's not a badge of some sort of anything like that It's just a simple commitment that you want to attend the meeting of the saints at the church on Sunday and our various meetings. That you're going to love and serve the, the, the body of Christ. And however, also to submit to the local church. And yes, even when necessary, to give input to the elders when needed. So think of local churches as embassies from heaven. We're not in heaven. This, the church has been established by God like a, a, an embassy. That the membership is just like that passport. That you are affirmed to be a member of the kingdom of God. And you are particularly connected with a local body of believers. Because you need spiritual oversight in your life. We need one another. And this is beyond, again, pastors. It's anyone. So that members make sure to examine Even now coming to the elders, what we see, you know, when when an elder is voted, elders should keep in mind this next point of the character, verse 6 to 8. Not just the the charge of appointing elders, but the character of the elders. Titus is called by Paul to test leadership. Not just to appoint leadership, but to test it. There seems to be requirements here in verse 6 on of any elder or pastor's conditions if if any man so there's a list and we find the same list in Timothy let's go there for a second just flip your pages first Timothy 3 just to have a, a parallel of what we're seeing here and I'll read also verse 8 to 13 because what I'm gonna say tonight in many ways except for the gift of teaching applies also for deacons as well this is a faithful saying if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Now, bishop can be elder or pastor, same word. A bishop there must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest, being puffed up with pride, he falls into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given too much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their houses well. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So what we see here is a, a little expanded view of the same list that we're about to go through in Titus, that the starting point there in time, Timothy is a desire in the person to become an elder, but then an outward affirmation by the church, a recognition of the gifting by the congregation, and then the uh, the qualifications for deacons. And what I, what I see there is two different categories, elders and deacons. I know that, you know, the Southern Baptist, there's uh, systems where the deacons are considered actually to act like elders. But I don't see that happening. I don't see any ruling authority. What I see is also in Acts of the Apostle chapter 6, we can go there, Acts 6, it gives us the context by which deacons were established. 6 verse 3 particularly. And... Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we appoint over this business. He's talking about deacons. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. There you have the elders. What had necessitated in the church, there were some practical matters, particularly in terms of uh, serving at tables, that had brought the need to have deacons, to assist the elders in those practical matters. And so my personal take is to see the office of deacon as an entire different thing than the elder, an entire, obviously, qualification similar, but two different things. I speak as one, however, I was ordained as a deacon before I was ordained as an elder. I realized that, you know, churches, you know, have various ways of going through this. But what we see today applies for deacon except the gift of preaching. So let's go back to Titus, verse 5. If a man, if a man, the first thing you notice is that he must be a man. Therefore, when you say, you know, women pastor, that is already a problem. But again, this, just like in a family, a man is to be the head of the wife. How do you expect in the church to have a whole flipped thing around? See where the problem there is. But the first thing that Paul says is blameless. That means above reproach. Literally means that you cannot lay hold of. Irreprehensible. Or it doesn't mean that this person now is perfect. Has achieved some sort of perfection. But at least there is an unquestionable integrity in the person. That he leads his life in a godly and exemplary way. That's what Jethro suggested to Moses. Already in Exodus 1821. Choose excellent men who do fear God, men of truth, who hate greedy gain. I mean, if even yet Dietro understood that this needed to be a requirement, again, we don't know if he was a servant of the living God, but again he, he says that. First Timothy adds, again, having a good testimony among those who are of outsiders, the outsider, the unbelievers. Even unbelievers taught well, and he has a good reputation with unbelievers. So he's not open to reproaches. We, we completely disqualify his ministry and message. And that is the example that needs to be seen. Above reproach must be observed where? In the family. That's where you observe a man. In his family. In family, Is he faithful to his wife? Husband of one wife. Now this doesn't mean he has only to be married once. But that there's no other woman. That he is faithful. He's literally one woman, Man. And he has faithful children. Our text says here. Verse 6. Faithful children. Now some translation says children are believers. A man that, that cannot spiritually and morally lead his own family is not qualified to lead an entire congregation. You see that. But does that mean that children must be believers or simply faithful? Now we cannot control the conversion of our children. But... 1 Timothy 3 says he must manage his own household well, keeping the children under control in submission with all reverence. Which means there needs to be obedience with proper respect. So I take more the latter sense of being faithful. However, it remains hard to have true faithfulness without being saved, right? So, again, this is something out of control. But again, there's a general, here Here the text continues, not of. Having, in other words, a reputation of dissipation, debauchery. That his children are not living a wild, disordered life or in a disobedience of deep-seated rebellion. And that in, in, in ways that are so strong that would that the credibility of the leadership of this man is brought into question. That is something, not so, something that is outside of him, but that is something that, you, that makes people... Assume that, that, is, that the, the, the root is on parenting. A degree of defiance which would suggest there is some issue in the way that he's parenting his children. Now obviously there's age of accountability and things that can change in context. But again, the family is the proving ground for spiritual leadership. That's where it starts. And then it leads into the church. Let's move on in verse 7 to 8. The bishop, the overseer, which again is an interchangeable word with pastor and elder. And he is to manage his own God's household. As a manager of God's household. And the link here is between the family, managing the family and taking care of the church. As God's administrator. Entrusted with the work of God. Someone to be looked up. Therefore, he must be above reproach. Repeated once again. Therefore, a special degree of holiness should be expected of elders. Because they are steward of God. They've been entrusted and they have to give an account to God for the way they manage it what they have been trusted by God. And here's a list of how the elders not to be. 1 Timothy 3 summarizes simply of a good behavior. But it's just like a list of required skill for a job or a list of requirements to apply for some benefit. This is the benchmark. First, we go through some negatives in our list, and I'll list them for you. The first one is, he must not be self-willed. That means to be pridefully and impatiently arrogant. Asserting his own will with utter disregard for others. Where in, in the church, it can impact the, 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 the health of the church. Someone who is always insisting in his own way. Secondly, he must not be quick-tempered. Or some translation rendered prone to anger. Quarrelsome. Now it doesn't mean that this pastor or elder does never get mad. But it, it means that there's a propensity in his life that must not be characterized by anger. Controlled by anger. Easily provoked. Third requirement there you see, given to wine. Or we could say a drunkard. Now this doesn't mean that he needs to be a teetotaler. But he is wise in the way in which just beyond wine any form of... He's not addicted or he is not controlled by a desire for things like inebriation. He's not to be violent. Pugnation. This is a bully or a fist fighter. Instead, 1 Timothy 3 says he must be gentle and not quarrelsome. The fifth is greedy for money, which means dishonestly Not just uh, that uh, there's avarice in him, but that he has a dishonest goal in mind. That he comes into ministry for personal gain, and particularly with money. Now from this series of negatives, we go to a series of Positives see it 's not just about avoiding sin, but it 's about replacing sin with christ 's likeness and I encourage everyone not to turn out because this is not just about elders. This is what you expect for a, a, a Christian actually. this is the description of uh, a model Christian so look at that verse uh, the next one continue hospitable verse eight hospitable or a lover of hospitality given to and enjoying having guests in his home particularly believers but even strangers lover of what is good which means having an affection for that which is intrinsically good that means you assume the best about people you seek the best for people and you are devoted to goodness then you see they're listed sober-minded sober-minded there could we could say a cool-headed person who is discreet in other words his emotions his impulse his desires are under control of the holy spirit he has a sober view of himself he's not puffed up but is sensible to reality just which means to be fair in his dealing holy characterized by reverence and self-control which means you have a good grip on yourself and if we could add another one to this list of eleven qualities, it would be as First Timothy says, not a new convert. Not a new convert. Because it must be avoided the snare of the devil that comes through pride, where you're placed in a position and you just come to know the Lord and you're not yet ready for what it entails. That's why John MacArthur comments on this. He says, According to Scripture, virtually everything that truly qualifies a person for leadership is directly related to his character character such the task to appoint leaders must follow biblical guidelines the main focus seems to be here 90 percent character of the man i know that this standard may have, may appear high however D. A. carson has this to see to say about this that the disqualification are quite remarkable for being unremarkable in other words, these are the same traits that should be present in the life of every believer. Which are witnessing a general self-control in all areas of your life. It starts in the mundane, and the day-to-day obedience. Not just in the big steps, but in routines of your life. As men lead their homes and their family. And they can have a proven track record within their marriage. And this friend can only be maintained if the person, the man in question has a spiritual growth in his soul, in his personal life. And it depends on the Lord and on the grace of God. And so I invite you to pray for your elders, for Rick, for me, for future elders, that this will be true in their life. So that God is honored. And I want to be honest. I mean, this is a convicting list. Even as I was preparing, I see areas and aspects still in growth that i need to grow personally and it is not intended to lead us to oh this i gotta be a sinless perfect person no that is not what is in view here what is here showing us is that on our own is impossible if we fail to depend on christ and so we rely rely on the grace of god that's why we must be grace-filled and but however there's still something that must be observable, especially as leaders. So God help us. And let me me say again, that this qualification excludes women. Because that is a problem. Both here in Timothy, Paul is clear, dead clear, that this is an office that God has established for men. Secondly, again, I see here, While deacon assists the elders for the practical needs, elders are to focus on the spiritual aspect of your oversight, the shepherding, the teaching, the praying. And I know you can have churches where this is not in place, but I'm telling you, this is the description that we get from the New Testament. And the tragedy is that many ills that happen in the church today, believe it or not, are are connected to churches not being serious about saying, look, we got to... we got to follow what Scripture say on this point. Even in our church in the past, I know that there were situations where uh, this, this wasn't positive. When, you know, the, the example of life contradicts the doctrine where people are placed in leadership, Lord, just because they're available. Just because they have proven to be good in certain skills, regardless of whether they meet those biblical qualifications. Friends, I want you to know, we want to honor God. We must go with what God's word says on this point. That a person who is disqualified should not be placed in leadership. And even after, I mean, you hear of churches, when a pastor has been caught in something that is disqualifying, he continues to minister. That is problematic. In fact, someone said that rarely churches can survive a failure of leadership. And I want to say, therefore, theta is a miracle. Because... Uh, you you guys made it, and I. But again, I mentor. I remember my mentor years ago, who kept saying to me, "Otavio, character, character, character. That is the focus that needs to be." And that was, I was still early Christians. He was mentoring me, but this is what really needs to be the focus of elders. Not only we must preach rightly, but also live rightly. And I do remember talking with Tommy once and he told me that the greatest regret that he had is when he had placed certain people in a position with were either unqualified or went into that with wrong motives. And friends, that is exactly why many churches, many, many churches get into trouble. That's why many disasters happen. I mean, you wouldn't place a five-year-old in charge of your business who has no clue of what he's doing even for a day. How much more with the bride of Christ, right? We should have the same attitude. That self-serving individual, unqualified, must not be placed in such position. But again, this is not a description of a super-Christian. But we could say an ideal Christian. The ideal that all of us, pastors or non-pastors, are called to pursue. Not perfect. Not perfect always flawless but aiming with all of your strength at this christ likeness and now lastly i conclude with verse 9 which is the catechism of the past pastor we see um, the the charge the character and now we come to the catechism which means the other qualification is to be able to teach verse 9 verse 9 concludes holding fast to the faithful word just because teaching is one out of ten lists of qualification. It doesn't diminish the importance of this qualification. Because if the ability to teach is lacking, that the person is still not qualified. If the person is not holding fast to the faithful Word of God, that means to hold firmly to the Word of God, that he doesn't waver, that he doesn't have unclarity about truth in a way that it could mislead the flocks. He must be faithful to the scripture as he has been taught. That means giving instruction that he has a grasp of the truth and he's also able to exhort and convict. That is the sense of the qualification that he's both able to encourage and refute. This friends is the essence of teaching and preaching what we do in our Sunday school what we do in in our service we admonish we exhort one another. And the goal here in this case, as we prepare for next week, is to silence those who contradicted. The false teachers, the heresy, the unhealthy teachings that are creeped into the as a creed, that were destroying the churches. The, the elder needs to be able to know who are in the wrong and to address it and respond it by sound doctrine, healthy doctrine. That is the instrument, the tool in which God has established we use to rebuke those who oppose the Word of God. Among those biblical guidelines, therefore, on qualifications, friends, being able to teach is the the key. It remains the key. Yeah, character, yes. But that's... I know that many pastors are also lacking on this aspect. I know that many pulpits in... Many churches are lacking in this aspect. And I'm, I'm telling you, there is no substitute for the pulpit or doctrinal orthodoxy, sound doctrine. While high educational talent is not a must, it's still recommended for pastors to learn, to study the words. If gift for teaching is absent, it becomes a huge issue in the church. I mean, how can you feed the sheep without substance? How can you guard the truth from being constantly under attack if you are not mastered by the truth? And that is our goal, to be mastered by God's word. Because I I believe, especially right now, the problem of many churches in North America is that there are false doctrines that are creeping into the church in uh, in ways that are deceitful. And many pastors are unaware, and many flocks get swept away from... Various false teaching. Churches starve because there is a lack of... There is a famine for the Word of God. So the greatest task God plays over the elders, and therefore the elders God has given you, is to teach and pray and preach. And my encouragement to you is to allow them to do all that is necessary, to allow them to do that effectively, with undivided attention. The problem of Acts 6 was where it was too much for the ends of the apostles and therefore deacons were established. And the way you help me sometimes is even giving me feedback of my sermons. If there's something that you want to share with me, feel free to share. I I, I myself need to grow and encourage, encourage me to read or to always increase. So I conclude here this is the first nine verses of Titus. We are now beginning this journey as Theda Baptist Church because we want to look and be refreshed by those truths that we saw long ago, perhaps long way before I came here with Tommy. But what we see here in these first verses of Titus, that matters of church order are more important than we often give thought to. That We, gave, we don't give credit to this. We think they're unimportant, we can skip over there, but actually, the health of the church suffers if they're not in place. That if we follow those principles, we could spare infinite damages as a church. Everything depends on any good, loyal, and f- truthful leaders, elders who are loyal and good and truthful. However, strong discipline is required and character growth, testing, holiness humble loving self-giving service all those things are there for us as a benchmark it is not just intelligent or education or influence or talent that is sufficient character and also the ability to impart the word of god must be the focus and i know it's hard work uh, but again it it is absolutely imperative that Morally and spiritually pure is far more important, for example, than be a successful business owner. I want you to know. Although those things are great, but that is what God values the most. So how should we describe ministry? I want to conclude with this quote that Wiersbe gave once. He said, the foundation of ministry is character. The nature of ministry is service. The motive of ministry is love. The measure of ministry is sacrifice. The authority of ministry is submission. The purpose of ministry is the glory of God. The tools of ministries are the word of God and prayer. The privilege of ministry is growth. The power of ministry is the Holy Spirit. The model for ministry is Jesus Christ. And with these thoughts, let us conclude in prayer.